the paper is a debate on an urgent matter of national public importance in terms of rule 130 in the name of MJ Cuthbert on the economic impact of theft and vandalism in public infrastructure. I will now invite the Honorable Cuthbert to the podium. <laughs> nice to see you, Mr. Mbuyani. I'm glad you're sitting in front so you can have a good listen. <laughs> Minister. Honorable House Chairperson, the DA requested this debate because our economy is being held hostage by criminal syndicates who have damaged, stripped, and stolen our public infrastructure. Our substations, railways, and cables are disappearing at an alarming rate. According to Transnet, the theft of copper cable and rail stock has increased by 177% over the past five years. The theft and vandalism of our public infrastructure has a direct cost of 7 billion rand on state-owned entities such as ESCOM, PRASA, and Transnet. And the total economic impact has been said to cost our economy 187 billion rand on an annual basis. Compounded by the fact that government's infrastructure spend has declined by a whopping 29% or 82 billion rand since 2016, our infrastructure is being stolen faster than it can be replaced. This has all occurred within the context of a low-growth economy that is hamstrung by energy insecurity, rigid labor laws, and protectionism. No matter what kind of demand-side measures government could put in place, economies do not grow without critical network infrastructure. The question then is, where has national government been while our country has been under siege? The answer, House Chair, is nowhere. At the same time, South Africans have had to endure extended power outages and inability to trade their goods and services, as well as limited opportunity to get to their jobs because the trains just don't work. While there are pockets of excellence within the South African police service who have done their utmost to fight this war, they remain under-resourced and unable to implement the law of the land. Minister Trele has left them in the lurch. In contrast, the DA in Parliament and its governments have been actively working to come up with solutions to address this issue. In May of this year, we publicly released our plan to fight the theft and vandalism of our infrastructure, in which we called on national government to consider and cost the following proposals. Proper implementation of the second-hand goods law, making this kind of theft a priority crime at the SAPs, creating a specialized SAPs unit, setting copper theft reduction targets at parastatals, close cooperation between law enforcement and metal recyclers to assist in the tracking of illicitly traded metals, empowering the non-ferrous theft combating committee through legislation and its own dedicated budget, establishing a reward hotline, eradicating the backlog of scrap dealer licenses, multi-agency cooperation, and standardized transaction reporting of scrap metal sales. We also raise these very same solutions in the Department of Trade, Industry, and Competition's budget vote, which took place later that month. This was reacted, however, in typical ham-fasted fashion by Minister of Trade, Industry, and Competition, Ibrahim Patel. In August, he released a draft trade directive 
advising that he intended to ban the export of scrap metal for a period of six months alongside a series of other measures which he copy and pasted from the DA's playbook. However, the proposed ban incorrectly diagnoses the problem and punishes legitimate metal recyclers and waste pickers. Scrap metal exports have largely been limited over the past five years due to the introduction of the price preference system as well as the export tax. With a 74% drop in ferrous scrap and a 92% drop in copper scrap exports over the past 10 years. However, in the same period, unrefined copper or blister copper exports have increased from 0.5% of exports to 76% of export volume. And general copper exports have fallen from 93% of exports to 23% of export volume. Government may have also missed this fact, but 99% of the copper scrap exports are in fact brass, which is not even used in cabling. A previous three-month ban instituted by government did little to prevent the theft and vandalism of our public infrastructure and only ended up in job losses and economic hardship for those in the downstream steel industry. However, Minister Patel denies this fact and is more interested in protecting the oligarchs in upstream steel who are funded by the IDC, given tariff protection from ITAC and allowed to dictate government policy to him. The reality is that if this ban is allowed to go ahead, Not only will we continue to suffer at the hands of criminals looting, stripping, and stealing our infrastructure, but we will incur a further economic loss of 15 billion rand in exports over a period of six months. What we need is a well-equipped SAPS to investigate these crimes, a purpose-driven NPA to prosecute these crimes, and the necessary political will from government to support their efforts. We must safeguard our infrastructure in order to grow our economy. I thank you. Thank you. We will now invite the Honorable Hermans. Without infrastructure, We do not have a country, we do not have an economy, and we do not have a future. As a country, we generally have better developed infrastructure such as roads, educational institutions, and health facilities, but investments in key economic infrastructure such as energy have lagged far behind the domestic demand. In addition to this, the bulk of the existing infrastructure such as roads, railways, and ports, need sizable investment on maintenance and upgrading. In its 2022 policy document, the ANC states that in implementing its transformational agenda, it aims to, I quote, speed up economic transformation by fast-tracking the development of entrepreneurs, small-medium entities, including large-scale infrastructure development and enhancing the capacity of the state to intervene in key sectors of the economy in pursuit of inclusive economic growth and development, employment, creation, and broad-based empowerment, close quote. This is evidence of the important role of public infrastructure in achieving economic growth and transformation. 
The importance of investment in infrastructure and socioeconomic advancement of a nation cannot be overemphasized. Insufficient or poor infrastructure limits citizens' access to markets, as well as livelihood opportunities and services such as clean water, education, health, transport and communication. According to an international labor organization report, although infrastructure development is not identified as a direct millennium development goal target or, or indicator, without it, many of the targets will not be met. And that sustainable infrastructure is not only an essential part in improving the livelihoods of the poor, it also provides opportunities for creating jobs during development, operation, and maintenance. The African National Congress, through Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan, correctly identifies infrastructure investment as a key driver of economic growth. It therefore follows that infrastructure development is a prerequisite for poverty alleviation and employment creation. With this understanding, a well-developed infrastructure ensures better living conditions for the general population and improves the competitiveness of private businesses. It is through, it is through well-developed infrastructure that the private sector is, is, is creating jobs. Economic theory, I Base on the problem, but the available information suggests that the value of material uh, stolen was around two billion in 2020. The cost, in terms of repairs to infrastructure and interrupted services, was closer to 10 billion, which inhibit economic growth and service delivery. In other words, the cost of this 
therefore comes at the expense of an already constrained fiscus which should be used for other social spending priorities to cushion the poor and the most vulnerable in our country. Transnet reported that the length of cable stolen from its line lines rose sixfold from 2017 to 2021. The amount of cable stolen from Transnet climbed from 120 to 724 kilometers. The number of incidents increased from 1,500 to 4,500 in the same period. Prasa also saw soaring costs from cable theft in the past two years. Looting of its urban commuter lines, including extensive cable theft, prolonged the closure of the central line in Cape Town and delayed the restoration of its service of other services after the initial COVID-19 lockdown in March and April 2020. In February 2022, process services remained at around 16% capacity. It lost another 200 million from associated commercial rents. In addition, it estimated that closures cost its employees around 400 million rand in foregone wages in 2021 alone. The sharp reduction in process services affects the working class adversely by increasing the cost of commuting and reducing the, the reliability of trains. Prasa estimated that taxis charge around 2.5 times uh, the, the rate of rail fare. That figure aligns with findings from Statistics of Africa's Land Transport Survey, assuming that all of the customers who would not take trains following the lockdown ended up in taxis. Their commuting costs uh, increased by around $1.5 billion a year. If they stayed with Prasa, they endured more delays, around half of them due to cable theft. If workers ended up arriving late to work, they would get lower pay or even face disciplinary action. The employers lost from, uh, from, de uh, from depressed production. The evidence demonstrates that cable theft has had adverse impact on the poor and the working class. We have the responsibility to protect this important strata. Scrap cop copper is of an important, is, is an important input in the manufacture of copper products, in part because it is easier to refine and cheaper than raw copper. Around 2010, criminals and associated dealers diverted a growing share of illegal exports. The practice has effectively limited access for local manufacturers and raised costs. This is an important factor behind the decline in copper manufacturing in the past five years, which has translated in the loss of jobs and decreasing of our manufacturing base and capacity. Our infrastructure is expected to create sufficient impetus for local industries to produce imports. This is essential for our developmental trajectory and industrialization efforts. We therefore have a critical responsibility of protecting our infrastructure as a critical base for industrialization and the development of local content and production. 
we have to work towards developing the capacity of our industrial state-owned development institutions, which should provide a large quantum of less costly finance for industrial development. This industrial development must be met with the protection of our existing infrastructure and the investment in additional infrastructure to improve efficiencies and create sustainable jobs. This is imperative within the perspective of building a developmental state of leading a process of structural economic transformation by developing the productive forces of our country. Our efforts of building a capable developmental state will all be in vain if we do not protect our infrastructure and industries. We also call on National Treasury to increase the budget for law enforcement. Budget costs are proving to be a huge impediment to develop, to development and fighting crime. It is simplistic for the DA to argue that this will, that this will be simply a law enforcement issues. There are many interrelated challenges that have to be attended to. It starts with imposing limitations on the export of scrap metal to reduce demand and, amongst others, the need for our law enforcement to be well-resourced. The temporary ban on the export of scrap metal is an offensive against the sabotage of our economy and securing the future of generations to come. The ANC is unapologetic about this. Thank you, Jefferson. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Steber, please, members who come late into the platform, make sure that you have muted. I am muted, Chair. Honorable Stebe, we have been been disturbed by you all the time. I didn't want to disturb the speaker and talk to you. So that's why I'm calling your name out. Chair, my, my speaker is unmute. It's on mute. Even now as you speak, it's on mute. Please switch I off. Un- I unmute now and I, and I will mute okay, it again. Okay, it's fine. It's, it's fine. It's fine, Honorable Stepe. Just check, just check, and make sure you don't do that again. Uh, we now. I never proceed. did that. Maybe we are DJ Yamato. What is happening, <laughs> uh, Honorable Brink? This is your opportunity. Honorable members, imagine having to survive a car crash only to be robbed and then beaten up. And you'll have a rough idea about the state of municipal water and electricity infrastructure. Not only are most of the network components, the feeder cables, the transformers, the substations, the pumps and the pipes operated decades out of life cycle, they're being ground down year after year by the neglect of repairs and maintenance, by the load of illegal connections, and the supercharged wear and tear of ESCOM load shedding. So when these cable thieves strip copper or whatever metal they can find 
from municipal installations. They are striking at a system that is already beyond fragile. And it has serious implications for communities because taxpayers' money is then spent to repair the damage and to secure the infrastructure instead of upgrading services uh, and investing in making municipalities independent of ESCOM. The good news is that if we care enough about this problem, about service delivery in the communities and their economic well-being, then something can be done to ward off this criminal assault on our services. But no, it is not mainly going to be a solution of trade policy, Minister Patel. It is mainly going to be a solution of law enforcement. Unfortunately, the South African police too often treats cable theft as if it were a private security matter, leaving municipalities to solve these crimes on their own. And South Africa's best municipalities have taken up the challenge. We've got a lot to learn from them. In Cape Town, there is a dedicated anti-cable theft and vandalism unit. In addition to the work of this unit, Cape Town is spending 40 million rand in this financial year just to secure critical infrastructure. In Joburg, City Power is spending 100 million for the same purpose. In Midval, drones are being used to secure and patrol power lines. And in Tswane, off-road vehicles are being deployed. But as successful and necessary as these measures are, they can only be a stopgap measure for the failure of the national government. Municipalities do not have a big enough slice of the national tax revenue for them to carry the full burden of, these, of the police work. And sorry, banning the export of scrap metal is not going to help. It's going to be just as effective as banning rotisserie chicken to stop the spread of COVID-19. How, pray tell, will this ban stop copper from being stolen for the purposes of illegal connections? Illegal connections is a business that happens in our own communities. It doesn't happen overseas, necessarily. And so we have entire communities where the full supply of electricity today is from illegal connections. And they've become no-go areas for municipal debt collectors. To illustrate how prolific this culture of criminality has become, consider that in the city of Tswane, ANC ward councillors are actively discouraging residents from paying their municipal bill. Perhaps the subtext is if they can't govern the city, nobody will. What is needed is a cabinet that cares enough to make the following critical decisions. Declare cable theft and vandalism a priority crime. Establish a dedicated unit like the one in Cape Town at national policing level. Work with legitimate metal recyclers to isolate the illicit traders. Assist with the deployment of security at vandalism hotspots. This is what a DA government would have done. But you can do it too. And we don't mind if you take the credit. You can copy and paste, just copy and paste the right stuff. What is needed is critical decisions to secure the supply of water, electricity, and sanitation to communities. And if the national government, um, Madam Chairperson, don't, doesn't want to make these decisions, then devolve the funding and the functions to the provinces and municipalities who can. I thank you. Thank you. Honorable Suiza.
Honorable Chairperson, allow us to give proper context to the debate before the House. The Minister of Water and Sanitation launched some sort of awareness campaign against vandalism of water and infrastructure together with the city of Cape Town, and there is a program to take this campaign across the Western Cape. The campaign was launched with some misguided thinking that vandalism of water and sanitation infrastructure is the major problem in the delivery of basic services, and this is not true. The Minister of Water and Sanitation must go to Madibane, what 27, near Ellen's Drift and Sibanya's Interways on Lonro Drive. People have been living there without water since 1994. There is a water pipe that moves between mines, Interways side and Escom plant, but people do not have water. We have water to wash chrome and waste, but the people of Madibane, what 27, do not have water. So when they try and connect pipes to these main pipes, it is not vandalism. It is an act of desperation. It, an EFF what councillor fighter, Mushikwane Samuel, must use his own baki and money and time to try and deliver water to the elderly who should have water inside their yards. Go toward one Lekwatai mining in the northwest. People of Bitumelong live in running switch spillage because of poor infrastructure and the, the ANC government has failed to maintain. People open their own front doors and walk straight into sewer spillage. Children are sick and the whole place smells like a toilet. Tebohokomani, an EFF councillor who lives in the same sewer spillage infested community, spends every day chasing municipal officials to come and unblock this switch. When people try to address these problems on their own, it's not vandalism, they are just tired. Go to Polokwaniwa 10, just outside Sesheho. People live there without water every day. They have to rely on the few households with boreholes. Elderly people are pushing wheelbarrows to go and buy water every day. In fact, the whole of Limpopo province must be declared an area facing a water crisis. People in Musina, Tulamela, Lebuahomu, Nkuakua, Belabela, Mohalakwena, and many other areas do not have water and drink water with animals. The ANC corrupt and incompetent government failed to maintain the infrastructure that was built by the apartheid and Bantustan government. But we are told that Deep, Deep Drift DO908 in Bilabela, also known as Palapala Wildlife Farms, has interrupted water supply for the Ankolas and money launderers who have world-class sanitation. In Elias Mosoledi, what, 8, 21, and 30, there are boreholes that the were uncle? installed there, costing the municipality millions. Our people know that there are boreholes. There is water. They must wait for the water trucks to benefit corrupt municipal officials who are failing to give our people permanent solution. The reality is that the water and sanitation infrastructure is broken and does not exist and never existed. The economic impact spoken about is disingenuous. The problem is that you want to wash chrome, smelter steel, 
supply water to luxury resorts and water the golf courses when our people do not have water to drink, to allow infrastructure to deteriorate and collapse and then turn around and cry vandalism and theft is disingenuous. South Africa has a booming scrap metal industry based purely on criminal activities. And the ANC government is a beneficiary of this crime. Now, this is the proper context. So we are not defending criminals, but criminals are stealing rotten dry pipes. Now, let's deal quickly what, what, what must be done. Number one, we need to do a detailed, credible, and thorough audit of all water and sanitation infrastructure, including infrastructure that is privately owned. Number two, we need to conduct a detailed, credible, and thoroughly skilled audit and identify gaps. We need to work with institutions of higher learning, particularly TVETs, to come up with clear plans to build capacity. Number three, the government must abolish all tenders related to water supply by trucks with immediate effect and begin a process to open existing boreholes. Where there are no boreholes, trucks that deliver water must be municipal trucks. Number four and last, all municipalities must do a detailed audit of households of people living with disability, the elderly, and ensure that by the end of this year, they all have water in their yards. All EFF councillors are already working on this list. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Madam Suiza. We now proceed and invite Honorable Majosi. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. To paraphrase the economist and a public policy analyst, Professor Joseph Stilgels, an economy in which most citizens are doing worse year after year is not likely to do well over a long haul of opportunities continue to shrink whilst inequality rises. The IFP is in support, I close quote, the IFP is in support of this key issue being debated here today. It is an issue that is of national importance and it affects each citizen in various degrees. Infrastructure is vital to developing countries such as ours. It provides us with the ability to be mobile, to positively build further upon our economies, and most importantly, provide a tangible legacy for future generations to inherit, build upon, and improve. Infrastructure is a bad Sorry, ma. Honorable my Josie, I'm sorry. Honorable uh, Van Skalveig. Honorable Van Skalveig. Sharon. Please mute. Honorable Van Skalveig. Sharon. Please mute. Next time that happens, I will be throwing you out.
the imposing of a six-month ban on the export of scrap metal from South Africa will have a similar negative effect than the radical trade restrictions imposed by the minister during the earlier levels of the COVID-19 lockdown period. If compared to the drug trade, as well as the diamond trade, scrap metal is indeed a sought after commodity. And if trade is restricted, the demand will increase, causing criminals to revert to more innovative ways. The Freedom Front Plus welcomes the proposed development of a permit system for the import of furnaces and other scrap transformation machines and the creation of a registration regime for scrap metal sellers with enhanced transformation machines as well as the creation of registration regime for scrap metal. Honorable House Chief, South Africa is desperately in need of an effective moral regeneration program that can be implemented in every single school, every single state department, in all three spheres of government. The eradication of corruption and theft is now more necessary than ever. This drive should be supported by an effective crime intelligence network and that, Madam Chair, is not possible without political will. In Tlantrusian House Chair, South Africa needs a new government after 2024 with a political will to rectify the state of affairs. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you. The Honorable Mishra. <laughs> House Chairperson, one of the areas where government has failed in its main responsibilities after failing to ensure that South Africans live in peace, safety and security is in the creation, maintenance and protection of public infrastructure. Cable theft and vandalism of public infrastructure are estimated to cost our economy a massive 187 billion rands a year. Had government protected our copper cable network and our railways against thieves and vandals, none of this would have happened. Now, because of their neglect, a few isolated Isinyoga have now become sophisticated, well-armed syndicates. It is alleged that there are saboteurs at ESCOM who create load shedding on purpose. There is evidence of three incidents that happened in May this year. Hendrina had essential copper parts removed from three of its units. An air pipe and cables were cut off at Tutuga. And there was a failed attempt to stop a unit at Matla working. We have read reports that each day of stage six load shedding, it cost our economy at least four billion rands. According to FNB senior economist Tanda Sitole, Load shedding could steal up to 1.5% from our GDP. It is estimated that damage done to what used to be the best railway network on the African continent will cost at least 4 billion rands to fix. Commuters who once relied on trains that were much cheaper mode of transport now have to use taxis that are much more expensive. Corporates that no longer that are no longer able to transport goods by rail must pay more for trucks, which are often targeted by arsonists. In 2022, honorable members, we should be building new infrastructure, not having to reconstruct what has been burned down, destroyed, or vandalized. 
We should be attracting tourists and even investments instead of making our business people wonder if they should sell their factories and assets and relocate to Brazil or any other country. The two million made that were made jobless by last year's riots should be submitting their tax returns instead of hoping for social relief grants. Our municipalities should be rolling out basic services to new areas instead of having to fix vandalized water and sanitation infrastructure to prevent unnecessary sewage spills and water outages. Our schools should be establishing computer laboratories and developing sports fields to grow the leaders of tomorrow instead of replacing smashed windows and fixing broken fences. We appeal to government, we appeal to the ANC to take the job of protecting our infrastructure seriously if we want to see the economy of this country grow. Thank you. Thank you, Muruji. Thank you. It's actually one second less already, and I haven't even started talking, Chair. No, uh, chairperson. we must wait. Ah, chairperson. Sikwela emva okwenguko ngenxa yokuba le infrastructure ibikhona kuqala nale yakhiweyo simosha ngokwethu I cannot understand for the life of me ubanjana abantu bakuthi bakwazi ukwakha izindlu phezu kwesiporo sedrain apekapa umsekelo baze baphinde bakhalaze the same people a couple of months later that abana mode of transport using means in the Dolopin, Kufnera by Chui Shekwe Dexi Ranks, Quest Dexi Ranks, Pindewuli. Okwesbi ni Dogba, Abanduba Kuti Kufnasba Funsengo Guabo, Ukuti infrastructure, ye ya bo, Kaya QS state, ye taxpayers' money, Kungabikole perception, eighty infrastructure, Gahul Mende, Singens no Tanda, Gayo. Kufnasi eating young so classing okay. Ogwesbini recently bekwabanda bibetisi Jojo tanks betoitoya and a couple of days later they want to maspala pinda batengele sisikeso eso nasi tetenje out ukutabanda bakuti if sizi you know we lose the we forfeit the right to call ourselves leaders if we can't tell our people the truth whether they elect us or not don't care whether people elect us in 2024 but the bottom line is we must tell them the truth and correct them when there's a need to do so Infrastructure in Zanzibar, Africa, emotional by the very same communities long before there's an influence on apparently and other criminals. Ibiwa city is emotional city. Nelson Mandela Bay Metro, I mean, just Yonane, Buffalo City. In May alone, there were a thousand cases of vandalism and, theft and destruction of infrastructure. Zindauzi too. And it is emotional spin the city has a network to report crimes in other communities by vandalizing substations and then by playing escom, by tabanambane, kufneratina spin the scissors or together. In addition to the fact that Hulmend and I can do better, the fact of the matter is most of the infrastructure is now looking emotional way too. I was asking a simple question in young and it is baby pabandu, gelklesha bandu, baby humba, apa, because it's still sick for Chinese inkling. Where were you? It's your community. 
bayadlula abantu bemosha bathi ukuba baphinde bakhalaze ngomso sibe singayilungi singokwethu but i want to make this point about prasa i was told recently by someone who works for prasa that actually lama police ababantu nibabiza ngando minister ababagadala enansi ngabona kanye basebenza ne criminals uphinde kubuwe the very same infrastructure baphinde bazenze ngathabayazi and it's a problem to nefuna silungsile the task team that we've established recently minister as our jonga glendo fnegi jonga in the broader sense and make sure that we throw the book at the people who vandalize our infrastructure because babuisa back in development yet let alone the fact that you build infrastructure like park lalaliam as out about eight months or two years later there's still no water but the infrastructure is there but this is that we saw none man in city connect about the man's in site millions here thank you you got your extra seconds, eh? Yes, Honorable uh, Dr. Lotrich. Honorable House Chairperson, um, I did not want to interrupt the speaker, but the interpretation services aren't working. Well, Chair, Chair, I don't mind doing the interpretation of the full speech from here. No, 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 we don't do that. Anyway, please check for us there. Uh, what's happening outside? We are supposed to have interpretation, please. Uh, no, the infrastructure in this building is tops. Uh, Honorable Heron. Thank you, House Chairperson. House Chairperson, a few weeks ago, I met a group of unemployed members of the Mannenberg community who, instead of sitting just, just sitting around, have taken it upon themselves to convert an informal dump site in their neighborhood into a clean landscape area where children can play. Right next to the dump site is an overgrown area that used to be a play park, but the swing, slide, and jungle gym have been stolen by so-called recyclers and the Cape Town Council has given up on the project. So despite what we hear here, there's no sign that their metal theft unit is having any, any impact anywhere on the Cape Flats. The recyclers have also incidentally stripped the wiring from many streetlights in the vicinity, plunging parts of an area that is notorious for gangsterism into darkness at night. Across the country, precious infrastructure from electrical wiring and fittings to fencing, railings, and anything metallic has been vandalized, stripped, or stolen by criminals and sold to scrap merchants. It affects every strata of our community and society, including the national electricity grid. While there's been a major focus on government under, government's underperformance and corruption over the past 10 or 12 years, too little attention has been paid to those steadily eroding that which the state does or has delivered in the past. Take Eskim, for example. While the intermittent blackouts the country has been suffering for more than a decade is largely due to maladministration and mismanagement, the company is also plagued by vandalism, the theft of its resources, and possibly sabotage, which it appears, so, appears powerless to stop. Minister of Police Beckett earlier recently said he was surprised by the level of criminality endured by some of our power stations. Stories of high-ranking staff having to hire personal security for their families and missing barrels containing thousands of litres of fuel. With respect, the minister shouldn't be surprised. 
signs of the vandalism and theft of our infrastructure are all around us. According to the mining sector, which is the foundation of our economy, billions of rands have been lost due to vandalism of, of the rail infrastructure system. Money like that should be creating jobs, strengthening the South African economy, reinvested into communities, roads, schools, and dreams. The impunity of the vandals and thieves matches that of the white-collar criminals occupying state and private sector offices. The absence of a functional criminal justice system is holding South Africa's development back in a myriad of ways. We must prioritize the protection of that which we have because it is the foundation upon which we can build a more just society. We must invest in internal corruption initiatives, resource the security of our rail infrastructure, and arrest the illegal recyclers who are sabotaging our progress. Without swift intervention, we'll lose what little we have left. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Heron. You'll be followed by the Honorable Sheikh Imam. Thank you. Thank you, House Chairperson. Honorable Chairperson, we must agree, all of us, different political parties, different stakeholders in the mm-hmm. economy, government, particularly the citizens of South Africa, that the destruction of public infrastructure cannot be tolerated in South Africa. The re- figures are reportedly in billions of rands that are lost annually, crippling the efforts of government and progression of democracy and economy any further. Theft and destruction of public infrastructure reportedly cost ESCOM, PRASA, Transnet and Telcom alone in an estimated 7 billion rand in direct loss. Now, Honorable Chairperson, we cannot agree that the banning of uh, uh, scrap metal will solve the problem. I think what we should be banning is the export of stolen scrap metal, illegal scrap metal. Now, how do you do that? First of all, you need to identify those that are buying this. And because there is a market for it in South Africa, Chairperson, that is the reason why people are stealing it. They're not going to steal these things if there's no market for them to buy. So we need the law enforcement authorities to be able to deal with this timelessly. Now, they cannot at the same time, Chairperson, do this on their own. Uh, you know, one of the, the, we must appreciate and understand, Chairperson, that this theft of, of cables and copper and uh, uh, scrap metal is conducted by people from within our community. And more importantly, those criminals are protected from people of our community. Now, the community must come together with law enforcement and all the stakeholders to be able to fight this fight. Otherwise, we're not going to be achieved. You know, Chairperson, it's easy to come out here and attack the law enforcement and attack the government and attack this one and attack that one. The fact of the matter is this that this relevant departments can't be there protecting the infrastructure all the time. The law enforcement cannot be all over at the same time. But whatever is happening is happening in full view of members of the community, Chairman. And they are doing very little or nothing about it. Now, if you look at the, the case of um, uh, 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 the theft and destruction of public infrastructure, particularly on the case of Sipiwe Mgadi, the former Prasa employee, who was caught in possession of 12 rolls of copper, approximately 192 kilograms. Now, why are these people doing this? It is because there is a conducive environment 
We're living in a lawless state where people believe the criminal justice system, they will be able to get away with it. And that is the reason. And these very same people that steal these things and get uh, um, arrested, chairperson, the legal aid that you and I, the taxpayers, will have to pay for the very same people to get representation. So I think we need to deal with the market Thank that exists. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Now we invite the Honorable Minister of Police, Babuke. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chairperson. The cost of essential infrastructure crimes to the country, economy, and our everyday lives is well documented. And steady power supply brings the country's economy to a halt. Traffic piles, trains stop working, taps run, drive small business struggle, and subsequently close shops. Communities are left in the dark and criminal opportunities increase. In responding to this parliamentary debate on the economic impact of theft and vandalism of public infrastructure, I want to state categorically that the law enforcement of this country has accelerated its work in tracking down and finding individuals or syndicates responsible for essential infrastructure crimes. In his address to the nation on the energy crisis, His Excellency, President Cyril Ramaphosa expressed his concern over the criminal activities that are adversely affecting the performance in some of the country's power plants, such as Tutuga Power Station in Bumalang. Government is firm on its position that these criminal activities playing out in our power stations are deliberate acts of sabotage that will be brought to an end. Well-organized syndicates help end on destroying the utility and also damaging the country's economy committed these crimes. Government is alive to the fact that the protection of critical infrastructure does require focused and coordinated response from us. We simply won't sit back and let criminals attempt to run a a parallel government that threatens to plunge this country into darkness, thief our resources and destroy essential infrastructure critical for functioning on this country. In response to the direct assault on our critical infrastructure, government has established specialized multidisciplinary units to address economic sabotage and other related crimes such as extortion and construction sites and vandalism infrastructure. Furthermore, there are active partnerships between SEPs in collaboration with key stakeholders from law enforcement in both the private and public sector. It is through such partnership that tireless work is being done to deal decisively with the theft of non-fiscal metal and essential infrastructure. Plainly, the country's law enforcement is working hand in glove with stakeholders, some outside the public sector, to protect the country's valuable infrastructure. On instruction of the National Commission of the South African Police, General Masimula, the SEPs established multidisciplinary economic infrastructure task team. The task teams are made up of different specialized units, partnership with private security, government departments, and well as business partners. 
The mass collaboration work includes operational divisions within SEPs, namely Crime Intelligence Detective, Forensic Directorate, Private Crime Investigation, as well as Border and Rapid Raid Police Units. Moreover, this includes the National Prosecution Authority, International Trade Administration Commission, the Financial Intelligence Center, and South African Revenue Service. We are responding. Adding to the collaborative mix, are state-owned entities, namely Transnet, Brasa, ESCOM, and, and Telcom. By the end of May 2022, EITTs across all nine provinces were operational within identified district per province. Economic infrastructure task team are tackling theft of copper and aluminum, destruction of infrastructure related to the energy transport, water sanitation and communication, pipeline fuel theft, extortion, and construction and other economic sites and illegal mining. These task teams have hit the ground running where intelligence gathering and analysis remain one of the key operational approach. This is evidence in some early successes since inception. This includes the recovery of stolen property and the significant arrest of suspects in Gauteng, Western Cape, and Eastern Cape and Guadalupe for the alleged roles in the theft of copper and other state property. This includes an arrest of a man in Gauteng in the Alliance Fontaine era found with a 10 million rand worth of telecom property on the 8th of July. Operational successes in this regard includes an incident in Pola in, in Umalanga province, where 10 suspects were caught in the act while tampering with the transient pipeline and stealing fuel. In the Western Cape, detective from Hawks arrested four suspects on charges of fraud and theft in connection with the theft of ESCOM copper cable, uh, cables in the Overbeck town of the Britain store. The stolen cables worth 300,000 were found in the possession of a former ESCOM employee who worked as a senior supervisor in charge of the Bradenstop customer network. Preliminary investigations revealed that cables had been stolen from the center and the suspects started selling them since 21. These are just some of the many successes that are as direct results of collaborative effort amongst various role players. We are aware that copper cables theft is not unique to our country. This crime is emerging as an international phenomenon, which in our case is costing the country extensive loss in revenue and production. It is estimated that cable theft costs the South African economy between 5 billion and 7 billion a year. To this end, data shows an increase in the non-ferrous metal-related crime. In the last financial year, the National Prosecuting Authority obtained 193 convictions from 210 vetted cases, recording a 91.9% conviction rate in capable theft matters. In this administration, that the Non-Ferrous Metals Crime Combating Committee has seen established. This committee is responsible is responding directly to the high incidence of theft and damage of non-ferrous metals and essential infrastructure. The NFM 
triple C at national level, at national level, is responsible to provide strategic direction and coordination and monitor the implementation of joint measures to address non-ferrous metals and essential infrastructure related. It is through this non-ferrous metal crime combating committee that perpetrators operating at a local, regional, and international level are being found and brought to book. Some of these arrests include in-house security officers collaborating with contractors as well as foreign nationals linked to the contractors to commit these crimes. Collaborative law enforcement operations led by the police are resulting in the recovery of non-fossil metals, mostly copper and aluminum in this, in this regard. Honorable Chairperson, please allow to explain that a total of 6,023 arrests were made for essential instructions from the previous year. The majority of the arrests took place in Gauteng, 1,995, Western Cape, 1,040 arrests, and Pumalanga province record 736, and KZN, 504. Due to, to the effort attention and resources out into the critical infrastructure crime, the conviction rate of these are, are improving. These are some examples of tougher sentences imposed on the critical infrastructure. One accusing case at N was given 26 years for stealing the copper. So, so the government is really responding on the matter. Five, five, of, five in case at N each got 10 years for stealing the same thing. Two, two accused in Houghton sentence 15 years and 12 years each. Therefore, anybody who says government is not responding is not telling the truth on this matter. You better seek information and know and then come and talk here, not before you have information about the matters, because the state is really responding. These are the sentences that are given, maybe before, but now the system is really taking the matter very serious. And I think we should appreciate that. So we are closing by saying, this cannot be only the matter of the law enforcement and the courts only. The communities must be invited to play a vital role because these things happen when they are. And sometimes these uh, community members, they encourage this thing by opening, becoming the part of the market themselves and all that. So communities must be mobilized. There must be a social mobilization to communities to say, this is your infrastructure. This is your line. This is, these are your trains. These are your things to help you. So together, really rather than making some points, scoring some points, just go and mobilize communities. Law enforcement, do your work, courts do your work, but all members here also have an access to the communities to go and work with them to mobilize against this vandalism. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Minister. May I check uh, table stuff? Do are you are you logged on to to the virtual? No, we need to have it because even members that are on the platform, sometimes they raise their hands. So we need some something that can be logged onto. 
Okay. Because we need to see their, their, their hands there. Uh, honorable members on the virtual platform, I heard you had problems with the cutting to the feet. Are you okay now? Anyone can no, respond? We are okay. We, we are okay. We did not have a problem. We can hear. Okay. No, thank you very much. I think Dr. it's Honorable DJ. Thank you, Ntatelzia. Thank you. Uh, we proceed now and go to the Honorable Justice. Thank you, Honorable Sir. Honorable, before you start in after Honorable Ajuns, please mute. Proceed, after. Honorable, sir, in order to fully understand the far-reaching spin-offs of vandalism and theft of public infrastructure, it is important to highlight the significance of public infrastructure to our economy. The President's 2022 State of Nation address is quite helpful in this regard. The President stated the following in his sonar address. I quote, infrastructure is central to our economic, our, our economic reconstruction and recovery. Through innovative funding and improved technical capabilities, we have prioritized infrastructure projects to support economic growth and better livelihoods, especially in energy, roads, and water management. Close quotes. Honorable Chair, it is common cause that the cost to the economy caused by acts of vandalism and thefts are hefty. In reply to our part two, a parliamentary question at two years ago, the Minister of Transport revealed that 173 million rand was lost annually in the Gauden province to acts of vandalism of the railway infrastructure. This is massive, honorable chair. Government is good intentions to accelerate infrastructure investment, which is the backbone of a thriving economy, will remain hollow if there is no concerted effort to deal with acts of economic sabotage. Honorable Chair, two years ago, we learned through a parliamentary question that the vandalism of public schools resulted in the signing of a protocol on school safety between the South African Police Service and the Department of Basic Education. This must be welcomed. We also of the view that the special purpose vehicle mooted by the president in his sonar address early this year to deliver school education infrastructure must not only involve prominent development finance institutions and the private sector, but also the police service. We have to rally all the role players behind the common goal of tracking acts of economic sabotage. I thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Ntateja. Cope? PAC? Honorable Hendricks, who's Kumbulilu Chief Whip? Chief Whip's is up, keep a platform. Apology, Chair. I'm approaching apology, Chair. Honorable Hendricks. 
Honorable House Chair Infrastructure Home is a legacy of apartheid and the creatures of apartheid represented in the sixth parliament. An example is the asbestos bulk water supply to villages all over South Africa, including Bushbuck Ridge, 68 kilometer long, so water is poisoned by asbestos before it reaches the taps. Bushbuck Ridge in Mapumalanga was part of the Kruger National Park and is now home to the Minister of Justice, the Chair of Water and Sanitation. The Deputy President during his term as Premier of the province had installed standpipes and water meters in thousands of backyards, but this was to no avail as the standpipes are still dry since 2018. This is because of vandalism of infrastructure, water theft, wasteful expenditure, and unlawfully making millions from the water by water entrepreneurs from the Sabi River. The damage to state infrastructure during apartheid and now under democratic system is indeed a matter of national importance, an example of how our most vulnerable and indigenous citizens in rural areas continue to be denied the right to portable and treated water. Several ministers and deputy ministers of water, sanitation and human settlements jumped when the, ministers, when the metros faced day zero, but the plight of rural citizens means nothing to them. President Ramaphosa also intervened while in Damos when I contacted him about day zero in the city of Cape Town. But the presidency has failed to do anything about day zero in rural areas like Buspak Ridge. I went into oversight in Buspak Ridge last week and my constituency there suffers because of day zero and water rationing, despite the abundance of water in the Sabi River. We have a situation, uh, Honorable House Chair, where everyone in Bushpark Ridge is harming our infrastructure. No one is left out after my investigation. Everyone does it. They harm the infrastructure. And the speakers before me says this is treason, criminal and economic sabotage. So uh, we would like to thank the Minister for the Convictions for Infrastructure Crimes, but also, and Aldemar, congratulations, but in Bushpark Ridge, it is a drop in the ocean. The magistrates scrapped off the roll all cases because of the lack of bylaws, according to the municipal manager office of the Bushpark Ridge municipality. We had a meeting with the children, the teenagers, and they said, look, they don't want to follow the example of their parents, their chiefs, their leaders, and they don't want to be part of harming the infrastructure. That infrastructure must first of all be repaired. There must be water in the thousands of sandpipes, and that is what they want, and they cannot sit back and see this criminal activity that is being conducted by every household in Bushpark Ridge under the eyes of ministers and senior officials. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Hendricks. Now we invite the Honorable Kachalia. The problem is the theft of our infrastructure by criminals and syndicates. Even the SACP's provincial secretary in the Western Cape says, Complacency in the media and among communities and the lackadaisical approach to protecting our infrastructure by government and municipal entities has resulted 
in cable and copper theft becoming a multinational criminal endeavor. What was once a petty criminal act committed on an individual level has burgeoned into a lucrative international organized crime enterprise. Close quote. What does this tell us? It says this is the result of criminal behavior, the absence of proper policing and community complicity in turning a blind eye to what goes on. The impact is massive financial loss to the economy of around 187 billion rands a year. It affects our electricity supply and our rail and freight operations, and the ongoing impact of this criminal activity is palpable. The responsibility lies on the shoulders of an inept government whose failed policies and inability to fix the problems they have created has resulted in yet another broken string to their bent bow, which compounds the woes of our failing economy and the provision of public goods like electricity and transport. In societies that have more solid institutions and where the poor have not been marginalized to the extent that they have been here, the responsibility lies in enforcement and zero, zero tolerance of such rampant criminality. But alas, we have become the perverse laboratory which develops rules and practices of internal colonialism of a very special type. One that fosters its own elites and facilitates the short-term accumulation and extraction of ill-gotten gains, aided by an inept and often corrupt police service and a government that colludes with big business at the expense of those barely eking a living. But like all things, there is a solution, except it won't be fixed by policies which say... If Honorable Kachalia, please take your seat. Why are you raising your hand, Honorable Member? Thank you so much, uh, House Chair. Can you stand, I'm, please? Yeah. Oh. I'm saying thank you so much, House Chair. I want to find out, will the member on the podium... Uh, take a question. So he tells us what happened to Dagama and George. No, 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 no. We, you don't do that. After. You don't ask the question like that. You have to ask first. Honorable Kachalia, are you... Can you take a question? After 2024. Proceed, Honorable Kachalia. But like all things, there is a solution. Except it won't be fixed by policies which say, if it moves, tax it. If you can't solve it, ban it, whether it's cigarettes, rotisserie chickens, open-toed shoes under COVID, or the export of scrap metal now. It ignores the fact that recycling metal directly boosts the economy. The metal recycling industry needs people to drop off the scrap, collect it and sort it, recycle it, cut it, package it, and ship it, accessing Forex. By creating more jobs, more people get paid meaning there is more money to be shared around, thus boosting the economy. At a high level, enforcement and restriction of, of a criminal syndicate activity in this manner that won't destroy an industry is the solution that allows the invisible hand to find equilibrium while enforcement and intelligence that was, does what is required. That and the measures we proposed in May this year. What is not needed is the dead hand of state intervention, which like all the ill-fated bans on cigarettes, only serve to fuel criminality and local mafias. Remember also who benefited. 
Mark my words. This six-month ban will morph, as the COVID regulations did, into repeated protectionist fests. So ask yourself, what stands in the way of a sustainable solution? The answer lies in the ejection of this government and its daft, dangerous, and debilitating regulations and policies. Now, come, come, Minister, and the various handmaidens, handmaidens and supplicants. Drop the Soviet-style re regulations and bans. You cannot cover ineptitude by shutting the door after the horse has bolted. You need to bridle and tame the horse. It's about sustainability and not suffocation. And the truth lies in the levels of crime. Get a grip on it and do it now for our sake, for the economy's sake, and even for your sake. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Kachalia. We will now ask the Minister of Trade and Industry and Competition, Honorable Patel, to close the debate. Honorable House Chair, today's debate has highlighted a serious national problem and it's offered a number of proposed solutions. First, there's agreement by all speakers on both sides of the House. We took part in the debate that South Africa faces a serious problem from the theft of metal and the associated impairment and destruction of infrastructure. We agree with each other on that. The theft of scrap metal, particularly copper cable, imposes uh, costs far beyond the actual value of the material taken. These costs, mostly in the form of disruptions to rail transport and electricity, effectively cut production, inhibit economic growth and service delivery. In fact, we asked the team of researchers to put together some data on the extent of the damage. 47 billion ran annually. That's the estimate that the respected research agency Genesis Analytics provides based solely on the economic cost as a result of damage to Transnet, ESCOM, process infrastructure, and the reduced output of the mining industry. And it excludes the damage that's caused in many other parts of the economy and to the lives of ordinary South Africans. 47 billion rand every year. That equals to 130 million rand every single day. The damage to state infrastructure is deeply compromising energy. Uh, it compromises transport and economic growth and job creation. Honorable Hermans provided details on the extent of damage to public infrastructure covering precisely those areas. She spoke about the Prasa experience in the Western Cape and the impact it's had on ordinary commuters, on workers, on the public. It painted a stark picture of the costs that arise from those who vandalize and loot our public infrastructure. Honorable members, I attended an event earlier today where Google and government announced the completion of a massive undersea cable system that will provide South Africa with faster, cheaper, and better access to the internet. It's the largest undersea cable connecting us with the rest of the world. 
and will enhance our capacity across a range of digital products, from phone calls and video conferencing, to financial transactions, to movies and music, to WhatsApp messages and emails, to web searches and downloading of documents. It will support the expansion of businesses that rely on digital services like call centers, digital technical uh, units, and many others. The reason I mention this is that to unlock the full potential of the Equiano cable, we need to have a functioning infrastructure that connects that landing point in Malpostrand with homes, with workplaces, with parliamentary offices, with the, the various ways and places where ordinary South Africans access the digital world. And the criminal syndicates who plunder our infrastructure to extract copper or metal for on sale undermine those efforts. And that is why we need to act. In the course of a discussion with both the CEOs of OpenServe and Telcom this morning, the sheer size of the theft was again highlighted to me. Telcom reported that more than 1.5 billion rand is spent by it alone on theft prevention and other measures over the last five years. That's not a cost for the balance sheet of Telcom. That's a cost that ordinary South Africans pay, small businesses pay, entrepreneurs pay, uh, young people are seeking to access the internet pay. The second point that's come from the debate were reflections on the causes of theft and vandalism. And there were a number of points of view. Many members pointed out uh, the, criminal, uh, the criminal syndicates who use sophisticated methods to incentivize often desperate people to break up our infrastructure, to break into a school just to get that um, window frame in order to sell it. I agree with those members. Honorable Cuthbert, Brink, and Kachalia draw attention to the challenge of theft and uh, what they would regard as inadequate policing. I should note that policing has been considerably stepped up, as the evidence provided to the Portfolio Committee has shown. We provided the Portfolio Committee with inf uh, information from independent sources, from the media, showing police raid after raid on scrapyards and on people in possession of copper. We showed their arrest after arrest, including photos of people in handcuffs. We showed uh, in a number of instances the coordination within the police and between police and private security agencies. Policing has been stepped up, as my colleague, Minister Kele, has pointed out. He provided details of how the police has reorganized its internal work to enhance its effectiveness, and he pointed to the very large numbers of arrests that have been made. He drew attention to the tough sentencing imposed by the courts. But while effective policing and criminal prosecution is always a critical part of any solution. I would uh, advise honorable members to consider the evidence. The sheer size of public infrastructure, community infrastructure, infrastructure that belongs to every South African, makes 24-hour policing and physical security of each potential metal or copper cable site impractical.
there is 600,000 kilometers of rail, telephone, and electricity lines in South Africa. There are hundreds of thousands of additional physical sites ranging from electricity substations to schools, to clinics, to traffic lights, and even to pothole covers. In these circumstances, it is not possible to police every square meter. So we need to seek a smart system to defeat the scrap metal looters. The plan involves a shift from seeking to have a police or security official at every location and every meter, shifting from there to focusing on the logistics and distribution networks to disrupt the criminal syndicates. These include measures focused on ports of exit, the use of cash in transactions, and requiring traders to maintain registers of who they buy from and who they sell to. The research we commissioned went one step further, though. We spoke to independent researchers and we said, look at the evidence and tell us how better can we enhance what we're doing. And they drew attention to the high demand for scrap metal based on high prices. And they said, that's the attraction. You've got to try to do something to that. The measures to restrict scrap metal exports for a limited period is intended to reduce demand. It's the simple economics of demand and supply. Honorable Cuthbert raised the concern that the measures proposed are based on lobbying by local foundries and steel minimals. I would like to advise Honorable Cuthbert that the metal industry does not need these measures as there are effective industrial support measures in place through an export tax on scrap metal and a price preference system that requires scrap collectors to offer these to the domestic industry first. So this helps with the one challenge we, uh, that we've had in the past, which is availability of scrap. However, what it does not do, what it does not do is address the theft of scrap metal. And that's what we're seeking to do. I would urge Honorable Cuthbert to avoid becoming the spokesperson of the scrap metal looters and the scrap exporting oligarchs. I know, I know that he knows better. Join us, Honorable Cuthbert. If you have sensible proposals, we have an open mind because we wish to solve the problem. The third area we looked at is at the reflections by honorable members on appropriate measures to address the challenge of the theft of metal and copper cable. Many ideas have been put forward and we've done research following the discussions uh, within government and based on all the information before us and relying on a range of advice, researchers, public officials, the police, infrastructure providers, the private sector, taking all of this into account, our officials developed a range of measures. Honorable Hermans summed them up very well. Uh, they are published in the Government Gazette. We can make copies available. They're also available on our website. We went one step further. We looked at the international experience. What are other countries doing to deal with this kind of problem? And we found a range of measures that have been used in different countries. And so based on all of this, 
we identified a package of measures. Honorable Majosi, Honorable Hermans, and a number of other speakers would be delighted to hear that their proposals are consistent with the measures that have been gazetted for public comment. As an immediate steps, a careful blend of measures that can be implemented without delay have been put forward. They include five measures. First, reduce demand by imposing a temporary prohibition on the export of waste and scrap metal. Second, facilitate policing by developing a system to make it easier uh, through focusing on export permit for semi-finished metal products. Third, the creation of import uh, permit system for furnaces and other scrap transformation machines. Fourth, limiting export permits for semi-finished metal products uh, to businesses that manufacture semi-finished products. And fifth, stepping up policing through the kind of measures that Honorable Kele, uh, Minister Kele, had uh, put to the House. In the second phase, a new system is, uh, that is being developed will be implemented. These include measures aimed at enhancing registration, reporting, and enforcement of metal trading. And it may, in addition, include uh, measures, additional measures set out in the Gazette, including limitation on ports that may be used for export waste scrap and semi-finished metal, and policy coordination between South Africa and various regional bodies. We've already started those discussions with Namibia, with Botswana, with Lesotho, and with Eswatini. In the third phase, measures will be considered that may require legislative changes. These include a possible prohibition on using cash in any transaction involving scrap, waste, or semi-finished uh, metal, and possibly a special act of parliament uh, or change to existing acts to deal with scrap, uh, the, uh, the metal scrap industry. Honorable Jafta quoted the words of President Ramaphosa relevant to this debate earlier. I would like to add one more quote. In February, President Ramaphosa announced in the State of the Nation address a range of measures to drive economic growth. He said, among others, and I quote, the damage caused by the theft of scrap metal and cable in our infrastructure, like electricity, trains, and other vital services, is enormous. We will take decisive steps this year, both through improved law enforcement and by considering further measures to address the sale or export of such scrap metal. This indicates delivery. This indicates when the, uh, the state of the nation indicates what we will do, that we will buckle down to identifying the measures that would be required. And the carefully considered package that was developed is now available for public comment. And when we've received the public comment, when we've evaluated it, we'll take it back to cabinet and put forward a final proposal, which if agreed, would then be implemented. I know, honorable members, that it's easy sometimes to perpetuate politics as usual with point scoring and petty politics, with false diagnosis and simplistic proposals. There is an alternative to that. There is an alternative that's available to all honorable members, and many, the majority of honorable members who have spoken have embraced that approach. It's about an alternative range of measures that are thoughtful, that are rational, that are evidence-based, and that are effective. The measures that have been put on the table 
goes a long way to addressing the concerns that honorable members have raised with the challenges that theft, looting, and damage to public infrastructure uh, creates. I would urge the House to support these measures, to propose any changes that may be required. We'll be evaluating the changes that South Africans have put forward to us for consideration, and then we will act. And on that basis, we hope we can make the difference that our people demand, that will create jobs, that will grow the economy, that will enhance service delivery. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable uh, members, that concludes the debate. The Secretary will read the second and third orders together. Consideration of Performance Protection Amendment Bill and Report of Portfolio Committee on Trade and Industry thereon, and consideration of Copyright Amendment Bill and Report of Committee on Trade and Industry thereon. We will now invite the Honorable Chairperson of the Committee, Honorable Hermans, to introduce the reports. Thank you, House Chairperson. The PC on Trade and Industry recommends that the House adopts these two reports and that the House approves the second reading of the uh, Copyright Amendment Bill and the Performance Protection Amendment Bill. The Copyright Amendment Bill seeks to modernize the Copyright Act of 1978 Given technology, technological changes, the rebalance rights between copyright authors and owners, and to formalize collective management of rights, as well as to promote a fairer balance between the commercial rights of copyright owners and the right to access works by users, particularly creating new exceptions to allow the making of accessible formats of copyright protected works for people with disabilities. The Copyright Amendment Bill also introduces the artist's resale right, which allows artists to earn a portion of the value of the ongoing commercial sale of their art for a permissible period of time. This allows them to benefit from, from any accrual in value of their works as art often becomes more valuable as the artist's reputation grows over their lifetime and for over 50 years after their death. The Performance Protection Amendment Bill seeks to modernize the, perform the Performance Protection Act of 1967 and re-emphasizes the economic and moral rights of performers in sound recordings as well as in audiovisual fixations such as films or TV series in alignment with the World Intellectual Property Organization performers, performance and phonographs, phonogram treaties and the Beijing Treaty on Audiovisual Performances. Furthermore, the bill seeks to address the plight of performers 
whose performances in audiovisual fixations are often rebroadcasted, reproduced, and used in, in other formats without any economic benefit to the actors. The bill would therefore give them a legal standing to negotiate royalties and other equitable remuneration for the use of their fixed performances. It also allows them to object to the manner in which their performances in the audiovisual fixations or sound recordings are modified if this is prejudicial to their reputation and or dignity. In the absence of these amendments, many works and performances fixed in the sound recordings or in audiovisual fixations available in digital format or on digital platforms are currently not protected or inadequately protected by South African copyright law, which leaves the copyright owners and performers open to exploitation without recourse. In addition, the bills seek to domesticate international copyright treaties, namely the World Intellectual Property Organization WIPO Copyright Treaty, the Beijing Treaty on Audiovisual Performances, the World Intellectual Property Organization Performance on and Phonograms Treaty, the Marrakesh Treaty to facilitate access to published works for persons who are blind, visually impaired, or otherwise print-disabled to enable South Africa to accede to these. The Copyright Amendment Bill and Performance Protection Amendment Bill were introduced to Parliament in 2017 and 2016, uh, respectively. The bills have been approved by both houses and sent to the President for assent in 2019. However, the President referred the bills back to the National Assembly in June 2020, um, with making reservations on the constitutionality of the bills in that it may not pass constitutional muster and may therefore be vulnerable to constitutional challenges. So the committee, after a process, then reopened areas affected by the above-mentioned reservation for public comment. So we, um, as my time uh, closes, I wish to uh, the House to support both uh, these bills for adoption. Thank you very much, House Chair. Thank you very much, Chair. I will now recognize political parties wishing to make a declaration. The usual times for declaration of votes will apply. The DA. Your House Chairperson, it's clear from the outset that these bills have been fraught with challenges since its inception and introduction into the then Portfolio Committee on Trade and Industry in the Fifth Parliament. Notwithstanding the process undertaken by the Fifth Parliament to deal with the bills and the reservations expressed by the President, it seems that Parliament and the current Portfolio Committee on Trade, Industry and Competition has been unwilling and unable to effectively deal with the complex issues that continue to persist within the bill. It is common cause that there is an outsized influence over the bill by special interests, big tech and pressure groups within South Africa that have a narrow focus on the bill instead of a holistic, overarching perspective, which would be more helpful. 
The Parliamentary Committee has made, again, the fatal mistake of wanting to rush through this bill in an attempt to be seen to be delivering something that South Africans apparently want. It would seem that history continues to repeat itself in the committee, in that due process, in the formulation of legislation, is sacrificed at the altar of expediency. The DA has at all times attempted to act in good faith, negotiate where possible, and even meet governing party MPs on a bilateral basis in an attempt to forge a way forward. This willingness to resolve a legislative legacy problem seems to have been abused by some in the committee, which is regrettable. It is further worrying to note the lack of courage and internal fortitude showed by some members of the governing party, Honorable Committee Chairperson, in being able to stand up to the bulldozing tactics by some of your own members in your party in an attempt to ram a politically fatally flawed bill through. Our concerns continue to be the lack of clarity regarding sufficient and detailed CS for phase one and two. Although a regulatory impact assessment is not required for such a far-reaching bill, one could have and should have been done. The continued over-reliance by the department on a specific group of academics who are stakeholders in the bill. Withholding of communication by stakeholders to the chairperson with respect to the bill was only released after the clause-by-clause voting, Honorable Hermans. The inability of the committee to make submissions on options regarding Section 203, Subsection 3 of the Joint Rules, and this was left to, to be made by a snap decision on the manner, and that was to reject the bill. The near total rejection of the bill in its current form by nearly all bodies in various industries and the outsourcing of responsibilities to the National Council of Provinces with respect to material changes required to the bill. The committee simply doesn't want to do its job and wants to ask the NCOP to do the job that they are paid to do. In conclusion, it is clear that the majority in the committee have taken the view to ignore the very real concerns expressed by other MPs, stakeholders, academics, and lawyers in an attempt to get the bill out of the way. They are captured by big business and by overseas American tech. It's funny because the ANC keep telling how much, how, how much they hate the West, and yet they jump when uh, overseas businesses say how high. This is nothing other than a dereliction of their duty And Minister, I hope you asked the Honorable Hermans what I'm talking about. It's important because it's going to end up in the Constitutional Court and you're going to have to spend public money defending this nonsense and you're going to lose on that. There is nothing other than a dereliction of their duty and one that opens this bill to constitutional attack when it comes before the court. The DA rejects both reports. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, Honorable Member. EFF. So thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, the EFF rejects the Copyrights and Performance Amendment Bill in its current form. The bill that was returned two years ago had some very important parts 
that would have led the multinational companies like Sony and Gallo Music to release the rights of the actors' music that they have actually got them through exploitation. Now, all that was left to be done was for the president to sign the bill. And the Ancola president and the white monopoly capital servant reversed it and proposed that the removal of the expropriation clause and directed that the committee uh, they must revise the bill. All this time, the creatives were given an impression that they were given a gen- their genuine concerns. They were actually being considered, but it turned out that uh, the profiteering is the main concern. The concern is not that the creatives are suffering. It's because their intellectual work has been stolen and they die with a cent next to their name. And we can name the few. You know them. The performance bill on the other side does not support the establishment of the collecting agency for the actors so that they are paid in perpetuity when their material is being repeated on radio and TV and other uh, areas instead of being paid once. Now, actors cannot continue to die in poverty. A provision should have been made uh, in this bill for actors to earn royalties when the episodes of series are broadcast repeatedly and when the shows are shot and sold in other territories. Now, the ANCK does in the committee bulldozed and they use their majority to sell out. And I want to say it categorically that they have robbed the, the, the artists of their original material and they, con- and they condemn them into poverty and dying as poopers. I want to put it right now that the actors have been sold out. Their material that they developed way back, it stuck with the multinational companies, and this bill did not support that. So through the committee of the ANC bulldozing us, they have they've actually approved that. So the EFF will always be on the side of the exploited, and it will continue to fight for the artist and the rights of the actor so that they are paid their royalties. And I want to put it out there and say to the actors and to the arts, we've fought, we've tried to convince our colleagues and tell them, you are dying. Your many multinational companies have taken your work. And our colleagues here in the ANC side have sold out. They're saying that you are not going to get that. There is Mongani Farsi and some other people of which, and also you can have uh, these other uh, uh, groups like the Trumpics and all of that. Their rights are with Sony and Gallo. They are actually being used all the, the time. They are making money, but the artists are languishing in poverty. They are dying as poopers. But here, the ANC has rejected that. They're saying that that's not going to happen. Thank you. And, the, and the president has rejected the bill and said that the artist, their material must be with the multinational companies. 
They have sold out. We've tried. We are thank going to you, meet them on the streets. Member. I thank you. IFP. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Both the copyright Order, amendment. Honorable members. Honorable yes, members. IFP. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Both the Copyright Amendment Bill and the Performance Protection Amendment Bill serve critical purposes and a long delay in finalizing these bills has been a, a great injustice. The Performance Protection Amendment Bill, which seeks to protect performers' moral and economic rights, serves an important objective, which the IFP strongly supports. However, the important objective of this bill has undeniably been delayed by references. The IFP has previously stressed the importance of the Copyright Amendment Bill, striking a fine balance between protecting creatives and ensuring that researchers and the public, especially vulnerable members of our society, are not burdened in accessing creative works. We also, however, strongly support the principle that legislation should provide legal certainty, especially in this highly complex field of intellectual property. We do not wish the Copyright Amendment Bill Act to be further tangled in court cases prolonging the lack of such legal certainty. The IFP, in consideration of the reports on both the Performance Protection Amendment Bill and the Copyright Amendment Bill, supports that the reports correctly reflect the deliberation on the bills following the President's reservation on the bills, which mostly related to the Copyright Amendment Bill. The IFP agreed that the substantial nature of the consent justified the re publication of further amendment to the bills. The IFP furthermore agrees that the concern raised by the president that the performance protection amendment bill potentially infringes the world intellectual property organization performance and pornograms treat, which South Africa was a signature of, was a key concern. Our laws must adhere to the basic protection provided by such treaties. The IFP, however, again wishes to stress its deep concern that it took more than 14 months of the president to send the bill back to parliament, which is inexplicable. The IFP, however, shares the concern that the consultation periods on the copyright amendment bill and by extension, the performance protection bill were not adequate. Considering the technical nature of the proposals, the IFP agrees with the money, uh, minority reports that this might be an aspect that will be open for legal challenges. The president, in his reservations on the copyright amendment bill, was specifically concerned about the adequacy of public participation on the fair use clause. And although there were further calls for submissions, we remain indeed had a real opportunity to apply their minds on the technical ideals, but reserve its concern on the adequacy of public consultation. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. FF Plus.
Thank you, Honorable House Chair, members. Honorable House Chair, after specific copyright exceptions, explicitly mentioned as being of concern in the President's referral back, only six substantive changes that did not limit rights of copyright and moral rights made it to the 2019 B Bill. There were no changes to three topics in the 2019 B Bill that are obvious mistakes and conceptualization and drafting namely the 25-year term limit on the assignment of copyright, literary and musical works, the provisions for the royalty resale right, and the statutory licenses for reproduction and translation, despite even the ministers having raised the, era, the uh, concern and the errors in the last two topics. Therefore, Honorable House Chair, the phrase from Places van Wienen, that the forelegging of the wetsontwerp primatier is and that the work for the committee is not voltooid. The wetsontwerp must be returned to the committee. And as one of the previous speakers said, that we will probably not be able to end and the 5 plus will not be able to end up with this to The 5 plus for the And thank you, Voorzitter. Thank you, Honourable Member. ACDP. Honourable House Chairperson, as we consider the Performance Protection Amendment Bill and the Copy Copyright Amendment Bill. Uh, sent back to Parliament because of reservations by the President on its constitutionality and compliance with international treaties. The ACDP would like to place on record our appreciation for the tremendous amount of work done by the committee members, legal department, and all com uh, committee officials involved. Mm -hmm. These amendment bills seek to modernize our copyright and performers legislation as a template for standardization in our region, as well as to bring them in line with international treaties and best practice. They also seek to balance the right of the rights of the originators or artists with those of the users while simultaneously giving support to the creative and commercial success of South African art and artists. The ACDP, however, shares the concerns which have been raised by certain interest groups regarding the shortcomings of these bills, which includes but not limited to, but is not limited to the following. Firstly, the Performance Protection Amendment Bill, Section 3A, Subsection 3B, refers to equitable remuneration, understood internationally as referring to the mere right to remuneration instead of in exclusive rights. We believe that instead reference should be made in the provision to appropriate remuneration and as well the form that remuneration should take. Additionally, section five of the uh, performance protection bill referring to the downgrading of performance rights from exclusive to mere remuneration rights proposes levels of protection for certain performance rights which are less than the requirements of the WPPT which South Africa intends to ratify. On the Copyright Amendment Bill, the ACDP believes that the introduction of fair use as opposed to fair dealing could potentially plum plunge 
the South African online market for creative works into legal uncertainty, increasing the risks of litigation, as well as creating entry barriers for new services and creators. It must be remembered that in the United States of America, fair use has been developed over a period of 150 years of jurisprudence. While South Africa does not have this case law history or experience. Finally, concerns were raised about the regulatory impact assessments that needs to be done. And the ACGP agrees that in the absence of an assessment on the economic impact of the copyright amendment bill, uh, this relates to a a material deficiency in the legislative process. The ACDP does not support these amendment bills. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. UDM. UDM. Okay. ATM. ATM. Good. Uh, House Chair, we have no declaration. Thank you. Yeah. NFP. NFP. AIC. Cope. PAC. Al Jama. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chair. Honorable House Chair, creating generational wealth for the offspring of our artists seems to be missing. And Al-Jamaa concurs with those political parties that has put a case uh, for, more public, for more public participation. I know the matter has been dragged. President Office is partly responsible for the delay, uh, but uh, it is better that we do it uh, right and that uh, we that in the whole process they uh, we create generational wealth for the offspring of our artists it cannot be that there must be uh, more benefits for users thank you very much thank you honorable member anc Thank you, Chair, colleagues, fellow South Africans. The African National Congress support the adoption of the Copyright and Performance Amendment Bill. The adoption of the report is part of ANC's efforts to provide support to the creative industry and ensure protection of artists and performers. The process for insertment of this bill started from Copyright Review Commission report, which examined in detail the workings and collecting society that were established in South Africa to license musical, literal works, sound recording, and public edition to publicity of users to collect on behalf of the rights of the owners the royalties payable by the use. It is important to give context how it started. A major focus of CRC works was ascertained to how it came that Nine years after incentive of the needly time legislation in 2010, not a single cent being paid royalty to musicians and record companies. It concluded that the legislation which provided for the stationary license in respect of needly time did not 
adequately protect the right owner whose rights were made subject to the license. The commissioning of this copyright review was further to determine whether there are any benefit coming from the copyright-based industry in South Africa. The reason for commissioning these studies was solely based on the fact that South Africa wants to accede to the treaty in the area of copyright. It found, amongst other things, that South Africa should improve its internal copyright legislation as it is over three decades old. The absence of data from Statistics South Africa is problematic, especially with the reliance of the data from privately managed databases, which may be misleading as this data has not been proven to be reliable. The treatment of intellectual property as non-sector renders the recognition of copyright as a subsector of intellectual property non-existent or sterile. The adoption of reports will provide the necessary protection to artists. We believe this will contribute economical growth, job creation, respect for intellectual property, and it contributes to the social good. The creation of new knowledge in the competitive economy is dependent to significant extend on the protection of the intellectual property. Copyright law should be effective in promoting and encouraging the creation of investment in creative works. This is what the bill is all about, about the people and the transformation of the society. Without the amendment to the legislation, if left as it is, as expected by the opposition, the legislation itself, it donates our artists to be vulnerable to the exploitation of the record label who takes ownership of the intellectual property of artists. Many artists have been denied all which is due to them as a result of our artists historically and the current continues to be slaves of this record label and multinational entity who rake millions of rents from the talents of our artists. The essence, therefore, this bill is there to protect the artists and reverse the injustice. The people of South Africa must note that there are some people amongst us here okay, who at the behest of the monopoly capital, who are responsible for the crisis of the social reproduction. They wish our artists to continue dying poor, who are mainly black in general and Africans in particular. At the as the African National Congress, we cannot allow few people to get rich at the expense of the vast majority of our people. We are in struggle to transform the lives of all South Africans, not to serve the behest of the already empowered. Intellectual property has to be at the direct benefit of the people as a whole, including Ringo Matthews. Some people wanted to drag this while we were only enjoyed on the focus of reservation of the president in the rule of 203 of the rules of parliament, which we believe we have done successfully. They wished us to redo the whole process and redraft the entire bill for the purpose of delaying the bill. You know, times are gone of those olden days where you will have only Um Hans will sing the captain dance, the captain dance, as if we don't have ours who will sing Palm Jive. So our bomb jive got nothing. It is important to highlight how these bills contribute towards the development of creativity for the artist as it allowed the need to be used reasonable for the purpose of entertainment, for the greater good of society, for the broader economic benefit of the South African economy. Most importantly, 
This bill cater for the disabled and visual impaired, allowing for the production of certain literal works to be produced without undue expensive cost to them. We believe that we have struck a reasonable balance between the two aspects, ensuring that publication of education literal work was not putting up barriers for universities, schools, and disability. While we had done the work, we should be fair that those who have done the work so well, we get remunerated very fairly. We have applied our minds. We have made the decision that the bill do elevate the privileged over the less privileged. As the African National Congress, we therefore support the adoption of this bill. Peli Leche. Thank you very much. We don't even yeah. know you unban when. For the benefit of the for the benefit of the young parliamentarians, honourable members. For the benefit of the young parliamentarians, order honourable members. For the benefit of the young parliamentarians, uh, some of the jives, honourable members, I think they should be demonstrated at the podium because they might not be well conversant with them. I now recognize the honor of the chief whip of the majority party. Thank you, honorable house chairperson. I move that the report be, ad- the reports be adopted. May I we will be now take the chair? decision on the bills. May I please be recognized, chair? Or Chief Whip, could you please read to the whole? Uh... Thank you, Honorable House Chairperson. I move that the reports be adopted and that the bills as amended be passed. Thank you I very assume. much. We will now take the decisions on the bills separately. May I please be recognized, House Chairperson? Oh, yes, I don't remember what I rise on. Um, I would like to call for a division, House Chair. Um, okay. Uh, let's let's put the question first, Honourable Member. Are there any objections to the motion? Uh, House Chair, please could you note the objection of the Democratic Alliance? Noted. The objection of the ACDP. Noted. The objection of the FF Plus. Noted. Chair, the DA calls for a division, please. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, I've I've recognized the honourable member. You requested for a division. Yes, I wanted to also put it on record that the EFF rejects and calls for a division check. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Honourable members, please be aware that we're talking about we are dealing with a performance protection amendment bill.
a division having been called, the bells will be rung for five minutes. Recording stopped.
and procedure will be this division. The doors, the doors will be closed. I will. Honorable members, Honorable Shambani. Thank you, honorable members. Firstly, in order to establish a quorum, I would request the table to confirm that we have the requisite number of members physically present in the chamber and on the virtual platform to take this decision. Party whips will then be given an opportunity to confirm the number of their members present and indicate if they vote for or against the question. A member who wishes to abstain or vote against the party or or vote against the party vote may do so by informing the chair. Order. Having confirmed that we have the requisite quorum, we will now proceed. The question... Order. Having confirmed that we have the requisite forum, forum, we will now proceed. The question before the House is that uh, the performance protection, performance protection amendment bill, as amended, be passed. Voting will now commence. The doors to the chamber will remain locked and members are not allowed to enter the virtual platform. 
until voting is concluded. Whips, could you confirm the number of your members present in the chamber and on the virtual platform and indicate if they vote for or against the question? Are the party whips ready? ANC? Thank you, Honorable House Chairperson. The ANC on the virtual platform, we have 126 members. Present in the House is 25. The total number is 151 voting in support. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, House Chair, uh, we've got four members in the House and 19 on the online platform, all voting against. 23 yeah. in total. 23 yeah. in total. Uh, House Chairperson, we have three in the House, 15 on virtual, who are voting against. I'll pin the foot, ma'am. Three in the House, 15 virtual voting against. Thank you. IFP. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. We have seven members on virtual platform, zero in the House voting in support of the reports. Thank you, Chair. Yeah. FF plus. Thank you, Chairperson. We have none on virtual, one in the House, and we vote against. ACDP. Uh, thank you, Chair. One in the House, none on virtual, voting against. UDM. ATM. Good. House Chair, we have two on the platform voting in favor. NFP. AIC. Chief My apologies, Honorable Chairperson. In the House, we are 27 instead of 25. So we are all in all 53. Thank you. 153. Thank you very much. House hey. Chair. Sorry. Just a correction. I have two members online. So it's three voting against. I do apologize. Yeah. Okay. AIC. Hope. PAC. Al Jamal. Uh, one on virtual, we vote in favor. Honorable members, is there any member that wishes to abstain or vote differently to their party? Thank you. The voting session is now closed. The result of the division 
will follow. Order, honorable members, the result of the division is as follows. The A's, 163, and the no's, 45, no abstentions. The question is accordingly agreed to, and the bill will be sent to the NCOP for concurrence. Honorable members, I now put the motion that the report be adopted and the copyright amendment bill as amended be passed. Are there any objections? No objections. Please note the objection of the Democratic Alliance. No chat. Any Please further note the objection of the EFF. No chat. And the objection of the FF Plus. As well okay. as the objection of the ACDP. No chat. Thank you very much. The Copyright Amendment Bill will be sent to the NCOP for concurrence. The secretary will read the fourth order. Cons consideration of request for permission in terms of rule 2864C to inquire into amending the other provisions of Electoral Act 1998, Act 73 of 1998. Thank you. The Honorable M. Shabani. Thank you, Chair, Honorable Members. I wish to table before this House the interim report on the Portfolio Committee of Home Affairs Electoral Amendment Bill B1 2022. On 11th of June 2020, in the matter of the New Nation Movement and others, versus the President of the Republic of South Africa and others, the Constitutional Court declared 
the Electoral Act 73 of 1998 to be unconstitutional, to the extent that it required that adult citizens may not may be elected to the National Assembly and the provincial legislature only through their membership of political parties. This declaration unconstitutionally was held to be prospective from 11 June 2020, but its operations were suspended for 24 months to allow Parliament to remedy the defect in the Act, giving rise to its constitutionality. The defect was meant to be corrected by the 10th, 10th June 2022. On the 10th January 2022, in order to address this constitutional court judgment and allow for independent candidates to stand for election, the Minister of Home Affairs introduced into Parliament the Electoral Amendment Bill B1-2022, which was referred to the Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs for processing. The bill, as introduced, proposed to insert certain de- definitions consequential to expand of the Act to include independent candidates as contestants to the election in National Assembly and the Provincial Legislature. Provide for the nomination of the independent candidates to contest election in the National Assembly and Provincial Legislature, any objection to such nominations and the procedure to follow on non-compliance with nomination of independent candidates. Provide for the requirements and qualification which must be met by a person who wishes to, to, to be registered as in independent candidates. Provide for inspection of copies of lists of independent candidates and accompanying documents. Provide for the inclusion of the list of independent candidates entitled to contest elections. Provide that independent candidates are bound by the electoral code of conduct. Provide for the return of a deposit to independent candidates in certain circumstances. On the 8th of February 2022, the Minister of Home Affairs briefed the committee on the content of the, on the content of the bill. On the 21st January 2022, the bill was pub- pub- published for public comments. The committee received written submission in response to, to the call for comments. And on the 1st and the 2nd of March, the committee held visual public hearing for oral submissions and conducted provincial public hearing in all nine provinces from the 7th to 23 March 2022. Due to the extensive public participation process, which the committee undertook and the complexity of the bill, the committee foresaw it that it was not going to meet the constant court deadline of the 10th June 2022 to finalize the processing of the bill. Parliament thus far, prior to the expiry of the deadline, approached the constitutional court to request an extension period of six months in order to finalize the bill. The constitutional court has granted an extension until the 10th of December 2022 to complete the processing of the bill. Emanating from the public submission received and in pursuance to its deliberations, the committee has identified certain other sections of the electoral act which require an amendment as well as subject which the, which the introduced version of the bill does not address. In terms of the National Assembly Rules 286 subsection 4b and 286 subsection 4c, the committee therefore seeks the Assembly's permission to amend this other section of the act as well as extend the subject of the bill to include amongst others the following. The insertion of the definition persons to mean natural persons amend the section 27 subsection 2 CA of the bill to provide that the declaration must be signed by a duly authorized representative of the party confirming that each candidate appearing on the party provincial list of candidates is registered to vote within the province in which the elections 
will take place. Amend Section 31A of the bill to allow the independent candidates to contest more than one region for a seat in the National Assembly. Amend Section 31B, Section 3, Subsection 3A of the bill to provide that a completed prescribed form must be attached to the nomination of independent candidates, confirming that a candidate has submitted names, identity number, signatures of voters who support the candidates, totaling at least 80% of the quota for a seat. The removal of the words, if any, from Section 31B, Subsection 3B of the bill to make it clear to make it clear that a deposit will be required for independent candidates too. Thank you very much. In light of the constitutional duty placed for Parliament to facilitate public involvement in the legislation, I refer you to the case of Truett versus Minister of Trade and Industry. Honorable Chaban, thank you very much. The portfolio committee requests the House to accede to this request. Thank you. Honorable members, I'm informed that by agreement in the program committee, there will be no declarations on this matter. Are there any objections to the committee being granted permission in terms of Rule 2864C to inquire into amending other provisions of the Electoral Act? No objections. Agreed to. The Secretary will read the last order of the day. Consideration of report of Portfolio Committee on Mineral Resources and Energy on fuel price increases. The Honorable Zet Tuzipa. Thank you, thank you, Honorable House Chair, Honorable Members. Um, I think the first thing is to do what someone once said, that uh, when he was congratulated, giving a congratulation, that congratulations to the South African Parliament for getting an eighth consecutive clean audit from me on behalf of me and myself. Honorable Chairperson, the Portfolio Committee on Mineral Resources and Energy is tabling to this assembly for adoption the report on fuel price increases. This is a process that started as early as 20, April 2021, March 2022, and the last being the first uh, of uh, April 2022. It had engaged with different stakeholders to look on the issue of fuel price increases following the growing domestic pressures against fuel price increases and their impact to the poor, the working class, as well as the broader South African economy. The purpose of engaging stakeholders was that for the, it is important for the committee to get insights into the impact of exponential price increases and subsequently devote its time to exploring the alternatives available which could make an intervention possible to mitigate 
the fuel price increases. Honorable House Chair, such engagement on fuel price increases needed to be comprehensive as we believe that it is not a matter of one size fits all. It is on those bases that as members of parliament, it does not necessarily mean that by our position and our occupation, we, prov- we possess natural wisdom. We have to engage with others that can assist in addressing a matter that we believe it is a matter of national interest, if not already a global crisis. The concern about the one, some of the concerns that we raise were about the fuel price increases as well as the refinery capacity issues. Amongst other consultation processes, we're with a number of uh, entities, including the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy, the National Treasury, as well as the role players in the energy space, particularly on oil and gas. It is important, therefore, to note that whilst there would have been different recommendations made, some of the observations that were made, although non-exhaustive, is that the the geopolitics and South Africa's reliance on imported crude oil was a real security threat and further noted that, though for now, at that time, obviously not now, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine would not have had a significant impact but that did not guarantee the future. That uh, even though the Mwerane Commission, uh, the Mwerane Commission had made strides for South Africa to be self-sufficient, some of its recommendations have not found expression and, and, and been implemented. Noted that upgrading existing refineries to meet the cleaner fuel standards was often cited as a challenge by companies uh, in the refining sector arguing that upgrading would not be economically viable. And therefore, it's important to, to note also that uh, upgrade, that the domestic aspects, which is your taxes and levies, were built in a structure of fuel prices that could make a current and agent relief as far as prices are concerned. And therefore, National Treasury had indicated that taxes and fuel levies, uh, taxes and fuel levies were accounting for 30%. The following recommendations were made. The need for National Treasury as well as the Department of Mineral Resources to address the matter of tax exemption. The need for DMRE and the Treasury to look at the road accident fund location, then the issue, the need to expedite the issue of illuminating paraffin and LNG, as well as the 15% premium on freight. Lastly, that the business case be, be, be explored on of various options, including uh, upgrading existing refineries, building mega refineries. Or Thank you very much. I place the report for adoption by the House. Thank you very much. I will now recognize political parties wishing to make a declaration. The usual times will apply. The DA.
Sorry, house chair, just lost my, my place here. Just give me one second. I apologize. House chairperson, there can be no question that the illegal Russian invasion of sovereign Ukrainian territory and the subsequent loss of life, infrastructure, and economy have had a massive impact on global energy security and more specifically on fuel prices. We have had at least two debates of national importance on the matter of fuel price increases brought to this House by the Democratic Alliance. We have heard Minister Mantashe and Minister Gorongwana make promises that they have failed to deliver on regarding the review of the fuel pricing model. But it is the impact fuel prices have on the cost of living that are the biggest consequence. Every aspect of daily life is affected, whether you are rich or poor, black or white, old or young. The cost of fuel affects transport, food prices, production costs, and even the price of electricity. It is for this reason that the Democratic Alliance put concrete proposals on the table to reduce the fuel price by as much as nine rand per litre in order to ease the burden on economically challenged South Africans. These proposals included scrapping the general fuel levy, amending the road accident fund levy to give a tax rebate to road users who could provide valid third-party insurance for their vehicles, and introducing a private member's bill to deregulate the fuel price and allow increased competition in the fuel sector. In March and April this year, the Portfolio Committee on Mineral Resources and Energy considered inputs from a number of stakeholders, including the department and various industry bodies. What was lacking, however, was the voice of ordinary South Africans. It seems that it's more important to hear what the fuel sector wants rather than what the people of our country so desperately need. We heard suggestions about importing cheap Russian crude oil. Nothing came of that, but that's hardly surprising, given that we have practically no refining capacity left in South Africa. We heard about proposals to build a mega refinery, blithely ignoring the fact that the much-vaunted Saudi Aramco refinery that President Ramaphosa celebrated as part of his trillion-rand investment drive in 2018 has quietly slipped off the radar, and that five of South Africa's six refineries have closed down all because there is no longer a viable business case. The committee noted that ESCOM is using millions of litres of diesel monthly to minimise the impact of load shedding and rightfully called for the fast-tracking of new generation capacity to reduce our reliance on expensive fossil fuels. Chairperson, this report makes a number of other recommendations. They call on the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, Gwede Mantashe, and the Minister of Finance, Enoch Gorongwana, to do what the DA has been saying all along. Introduce a tax holiday or exemption, and an exemption would be a far better option on all petroleum products. Remove the road accident fund levy from the fuel price and fund it from elsewhere. Comprehensively review all aspects of the fuel price structure, including the premiums on freight, the demurrage charges, and storage costs. Sadly, the limited tax holiday on the fuel price was the only step taken by the government and has now fallen away. There has been no movement on the other aspects proposed by the committee, and still the more than 30% of the fuel price that is made up of taxes continues to fund government corruption and maladministration. In a country where consumer price inflation has hit a 13-year record high of 7.8%, 
driven primarily by fuel and food price increases, the lack of action by government is nothing less than reprehensible. It cannot be that government ministers driven around in their fancy cars at taxpayer expense are so insensitive to the fact that our people are suffering and cannot afford the ever-increasing cost of living. It cannot be that in the six months since Ministers Mantashe and Godongwana were first alerted to the need for a review of the fuel pricing model, nothing has been accomplished. House Chairperson, this is indicative of a government that doesn't care. The Democratic Alliance supports this report. Can I start? Okay. Uh, thank you, House Chairperson. Uh, House Chairperson, we can all agree that the fuel hikes in the previous months have not only dealt a blow to people's pockets, but have left a trail of devastation and despair for all in this country, especially the poorest of the poor. As we all know, every South Africans, even before the fuel hikes, could barely make ends meet and were barely hanging by the thread. The fuel hikes not only affected car owners or those who use transport, but the poorest of the poor, when prices of basic items such as cooking oil and paraffin shot up sky high. Families who are only given 350 rand per month by this government found themselves paying almost 90 rand for a mere two liters of cooking oil. So did students who receive NSFAS allowances ranging from only 290 to just above 1,000 rand. While some have sent appeals month in, month out, and are still yet to receive funding for the year 2022. Chairperson, as we discuss in the House today, especially about fuel prices, we cannot stress it enough or no avoid the fact that the ruling party dragged South Africans into this chaos we find ourselves in. The government can blame global markets and the conflict between Russia and Ukraine all they want, but they cannot shy away from the fact that the rampant corruption and failure to produce solutions has left South Africans as vulnerable as they are today. We cannot shy away from the fact that in 2015, there was an attempt by thuggish officials in this department to secretly sell off our strategic oil reserves for next to nothing. These are reserves that ought to be preserved with all we have, especially because they are part of the very few things you can use as a surety should there be a global crisis. What is even more appalling was that our government was ready to sell off our oil reserves for highly discounted prices with the intention of buying them back at highly inflated prices. To date, not a single official involved has been arrested and held personally liable for the millions of friends taxpayers had to put when an attempt was made to, reserve the, to reverse the sale. The minister who presided over this catastrophe is still called an honorable to date instead of being held accountable. As if that was not enough, this government, as we sit here today, is attempting to sell off the same strategic fuel reserves we have fought with a nail to protect. Clearly, selling off SAA and destroying our SOEs has not been enough. The rampant sale of our country and its sovereignty by this government uh, rages on. And by the time we wake up, we will have no country to call our own once more. Various recommendations have been made about the fuel prices in this country. We do hope the recommendations made by the report we are discussing today will not gather dust somewhere, but will be hastily 
implemented. This would include the protection of our strategic oil reserves. The EFF therefore supports the Portfolio Committee report, which amongst other things calls for mechanisms to be developed to address fuel prices, review the ridiculous fuel price structure currently used, investment in the upstream petroleum industry, the consideration of a developing a mega refinery, the urgent review of the country's strategic stocks policies, and the need to strengthen trade among African countries. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. IFP. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. This report speaks to an issue that the IFP has raised constantly. The increases in fuel prices and the impact thereof on the economy as a matter of critical importance. The geopolitical instability in Europe has had a knock-off effect, disrupting both fuel prices and supply chains. The impact of this on South African citizens is intensified by the resulting increases in food prices and cost of living. Honorable Chair, absent from the report is a cognizance of the potential environmental consequences which could result from attempts to mitigate the impact of increases in the fuel price. In regards to the recommendation on biofuel, it is important to note that much destruction of the uh, rainforest in both Brazil and Asia are in part a result of the production of ethanol and palm oil for the creation of biopetrol and biodiesel. These green alternatives do have environmental consequences. The question we need to be asking when considering biofuels are where will we grow the crops necessary for their production? What will the environmental impact of this new large agriculture be and amidst a food security crisis in our country? Can we justify using food crops for fuel? Again, environmental consideration must be made in relation to investment into the upstream petroleum industry and the exploration required for the development of this industry can have high environmental costs. Both recommendation on biofuels and the upstream petroleum industry are accepted on condition that due diligence is paid to limiting negative environmental consequences both locally and internationally. According to the report, PetroSA is one of the key environment entities within the upstream petroleum industry. However, due to high level of retrenchment and the lack of resources, a capacity study as well as a capacity building measure should be put in place within the agents. Will, will, this will ensure that investment into the industry can be effectively utilized and administered with, uh, uh, and will prevent a bottleneck which would discourage additional international investment. Finally, with regards to reduced speed limits as an energy saving measure, we believe this is unreasonable as the speed of a car does not directly educate to emission control. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, FF Plus. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. This report clearly shows the divergent opinions on how to reduce fuel prices. Should the different stake, uh, state-imposed levies be scrapped, but what should replace it? Should margins be left to the market? 
but how will that affect prices in remote areas and small businesses? The report recommends several mechanisms to reduce fuel prices to be considered. This should be done. For immediate relief, it would be nice if all producing countries would stop making war, but this is the real world. The Rand dollar exchange is more within our own control, but it reflects the levels of trust in our economy. However, there are no signs that the government will drop policies undermining exactly that trust. Exploiting domestic gas reserves may assist the trade balance, but will probably not influence the domestic price which is determined globally. If these gas fields are in ecological, ecologically vulnerable areas, the price may be too high. To build new refining capacity will require huge capital investment which may never be recovered. As the CSIR told the committee, the only long-term solution is to electrify commuter transport and use green hydrogen in heavy transport. But that is the long term. The Department of Science and Innovation expects this long term to become everyday reality in the next decade. Refineries may take five decades to be paid off, a time when there will probably be too little demand to justify the facilities anymore. We should rather look after the facilities we ha still have very well. What we can do in the short term is to elect a government which will restore confidence in the economy. A strong rent will buy more fuel and an efficient government, government will need less tax. For the time being, we are fuel hostages of the present government. The Freedom Front supports the report. I thank you. Thank you very much. The Honourable Thrain from the ACDP. Uh, thank you, House Chair. The ACDP supports this report and its recommendations after consultations were held with a wide range of stakeholders. The effects of reduced global supply chains and rapidly rising oil prices as a result of the Russia-Ukraine war has been felt across all economies. South Africans already struggling to recover from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic have had to endure shock increases in food and fuel prices. This has resulted in inflation breaching its target uh, this past month, reaching record levels, resulting in the Reserve Bank dramatically increasing the repo rate. The committee had, after its 2021 engagements, already then advised the department to conduct a review on the basic fuel price, including alternatives, alternatives on domestic taxation aspects of the fuel price structure. It's a pity that more attention wasn't given then to this critical issue. It must be noted that this report is dated 2nd April 2022, and much has changed since then. The ACDP welcomed the temporary reduction in the general fuel levy of 150 per litre from the 6th of April 2022 until the 31st of May to provide limited short-term relief to households from rising fuel prices following the Russian-Ukraine conflict. The relief was extended to the 6th of July, followed by a downturn adjustment to the relief uh, of to 75 cents per litre until 2 August. To cushion this, the largest ever petrol price increase of 2 rand 57 per litre, taking 95 octane to a record of 26 rand and 74 cents in Gauteng. Uh, 
According to the latest statistics from the Central Energy Fund, it is expected that the fuel price will drop significantly in September 2022. However, it may take at least three months for consumers to feel relief in their pockets. The ACDP has taken note of the various recommendations set out in the report, the most significant of which relates to the Ministers of Mineral Resources and Energy in collaboration with the Minister of Finance, developing mechanisms to address the fuel price increases and considering introducing a tax holiday exemption on all petroleum products. In addition, the ministers should consider moving the road accident fund levy from the fuel price, as well as reviewing all aspects of the fuel price structure. The ACGP previously called on the ministers of finance and minerals, resources and energy to urgently review these aspects of fuel price as announced in the budget speech. Urgent interventions must be given and made to South Africans to bring relief to our overburdened taxpayer. I thank you. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. UDM? ATM? Good. Uh, Yes, House Chairperson, thank you. Uh, House Chairperson, the ripple effect of a fuel increase, fuel price increases felt throughout the country. It affects small businesses, makes the cost of living higher, and adds an obvious stress factor when each of us fill up our tanks. This report not only acknowledges this fact, but also accurately depicts how the rising price of fuel is teetering on the edge of a crisis. The report is not only crucial to understanding how we ended up in this crisis, but most importantly, how we're going to dig ourselves out of the hole we find ourselves buried in. The current war in the Ukraine and its continued escalation has led to increased prices in oil imports. This price increase naturally affects every single South African household um, as transport costs factor into any market price. The report has been created for the sole purpose of combating this impending fuel crisis while offering a host of various solutions to aid our citizens. The most urgent need, action needed of all, however, is the investment in our local refineries, which will in turn lead us to save millions on imports a year. This will also give us the platform to subsequently invest in renewable energy and clean transport until these refineries and imports are not required at all. The second urgent intervention is needed in the form of financial relief from government through, through either tax or reduction of initiatives. Temporarily easing the VAT cost, reducing the general fuel levy, and focusing on importing through African initiatives are all good options in their own right. The key to this initiative working is speed, the speed to effectively establish a government-led countermeasure from which to protect our citizens and especially those in the low-income bracket. This report is not only vital in the message that it conveys, but also its timing. With our country making a steady economic growth Coming out of the pandemic, it is vital that we continue our momentum. It is vital that we not only reinvest into our fuel capabilities locally, but also craft a sustainable economic grace period to alleviate pressure from our citizens. We we support the report, but we do raise a caution, Chairperson, about the broad statement recommending that the road accident fund levy be moved elsewhere. This is essentially a third-party insurance which should be linked to the use of fuel and also the use of roadways. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. NFP? AIC? Hope?
PAC Al Jama. Uh, Al Jama supports the report. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. ANC. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, the fuel price increases have been at the center of much discussion make, um, for our policymakers in South Africa, especially after the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, which resulted in a significant increase in the inflation rate in the number of countries around the world. The National Treasury fuel, the National, National Treasury's fuel price forecast for 2022 financial year indicated that the fuel price increases for 2022 will be just over 19%, with headline inflation anticipated to register 5% for 2022, thereby suggesting that the fuel price increase are significantly higher than our inflation. Major factors explaining the relationship between the fuel price increases and the high inflation rate, which hurts the poorer household and shift the economy to a lower economic growth path, are the extreme dependence of South Africa on imported oil and refined petroleum products, as well as the declining local refinery capacity. These factors necessitated the engagements between the Portfolio Committee of Mineral Resources and Energy and various stakeholders whose purpose was to develop mechanisms to deal with the fuel price increase and their negative effects on the consumption and production in the South African economy. Honorable Chairperson, the report I present and the uh, Chairperson present before yourself contains several recommendations made by both stakeholders on how to deal with the fuel increase in the short to long term. Perhaps the most important is the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research. The recommendation that biomass and biofuel present an opportunity to minimize the reliance on imported oil and strategic stock. This is because biomass and biofuels are alternative fuels which allow consumers somewhat of a flexibility in reducing their use of oil in the consumption basket. Moreover, the CIR recommended that the electrification of the transportation system can, of course, reduce South Africa's dependence on imported crude oil and strategic stock and subsequently decarbonize the broader energy system. The National Treasury recommended that the basic fuel price, which is called the BFP, must be reviewed to provide the relief of the fuel price increases. But other stakeholders, such as the Liquid Fuels Wholesaler Association, the South African Petroleum Retailers Association and the Fuel Retailers Associations were vehemently opposed to this recommendation. They argued that a reduction of the margins would destroy the already struggling downstream sector. However, National Treasury's recommendation was aimed at reviewing the 15% premium on freight in the BFP introduced during the apartheid era, which is unjustifiable in the democratic South Africa. Going further, the South African Petroleum Industry Association recommended that the road accident fund and other fuel taxes must be reduced or scrapped, whereas the South African Oil and Gas Alliance 
recommended that gas was a potential solution to fuel price increases, implying that exploiting the country's own gas resources would make the country a price setter as opposed to being dependent on the imported crude oil, crude oil and refined petroleum products. The DMRE recommended that investments in the local refineries and exploration must be pursued aggressively as they would positively contribute to local beneficiation and manufacturing. Moreover, local refineries and exploration encourage South Africans to be self-reliant since they have the effect of reducing the impact on the balance of payments in dollar terms for our country. And there is tangible evidence that clearly indicates that there are monetary returns to be made for investors should they decide to invest in local refineries and exploration. Honorable Chairperson, the ANC understand the public frustrations concerning the fuel price increases and therefore accepts and welcomes the recommendations made by the stakeholders. However, the ANC contends that some of the recommendations made either are far away from the reality of engaging in real processes which seeks to mitigate against fuel price increases for the country or have unintended consequences that will be difficult for the government to cope with. For instance, the ANC sympathizes with the recommendation that the BFP must be reviewed even though it ensures the cheapest possible price. But it disagrees with the deregulation of the domestic oil market as this will not ensure that the market becomes competitive to the extent that drives down the fuel prices increases as the DA would like us to believe. For yet another example, scrapping or reducing the road accident fund and other taxes are the only significant areas where relief is immediately possible. But this would impact negatively on the national budget and the shortfall, would need, and the shortfall that we need uh, would, would, would have to be founded, funded from elsewhere. To be more specific, scrapping of or reducing the road accident fund and other taxes would likely result in the reduction of benefits for users of the road affected by accidents and minimize public spending on social welfare provisions such as social grants. The Portfolio Committee on Mineral Resources and Energy made several important observations, as alluded by Honorable Malem at least for the first time he is in, in sync with us, concerning the trend of fuel price increases in South Africa. Among others, the committee noted that the domestic aspects of taxes and fuel levies built into the structure of fuel prices were a quickest relief to, re- to the current fuel price increase. The National Treasury has indicated that the taxes and fuel levies accounted for about 30% of the fuel price. As a result, re- the relief is possible. But the ANC cautions that this must be done in a manner that does not affect the ability of government to mobilize resources to fund public infrastructure and social programs. The committee further noted that enabling the biofuels industry could assist in minimizing our reliance on imported crude oil and refined petroleum products. However, government support in this regard is important as the biofuels industry requires subsidization. Thank you very much. More importantly, some progress has been made in this regard, and the committee make recommendations that include the government support for this interaction. And I thank you, uh, Chairperson.
And I recognize the Honorable the Chief Whip of the Majority Party. Thank you, Honorable House Chairperson. I move that the report be adopted. The motion is that the report be adopted. Are there any objections? Thank you very much. No objections. What agreed to. Can I get your attention, honorable members? On the 2nd of March, 2022, during the plenary of questions for oral reply to Cluster 1, Peace and Security, Mr. D. Berman, MP, rose on a point of order contending that the Minister of Police had referred to Major General O. Esther Blans as a crooked former general. Mr. D. Bergman submitted that the minister had cast suspicions on one of the members of the House, and that was unparliamentary. I ruled and ordered the minister to withdraw the remark, but he did not do so. The minister instead proceeded to answer another supplementary question. I presume the minister did not hear my instruction to withdraw the remark. Subsequently, Honorable Kwahube rose on the same point of order and pointed out that the minister had not withdrawn the remark as I had instructed. At that point, I undertook to revert to the House with a considered ruling. The unrevised Hansard contains the Minister of Police remarks as follows, and I quote, but I'm not here to correct the general, a general that was crooked himself. Rule 85 states that no member may impute improper motives to any other member or cast personal reflections upon a member's integrity or dignity or verbally abuse any member in any other way. The Minister of Police remarks suggest that Major General Ted Blans is a crook, meaning he's dishonest or a criminal. This casts personal reflections upon the integrity and dignity of Mr. of the Major General Ted Blans. Having considered the matter, I would like to reiterate my previous ruling that the remark was unparliamentary and should be withdrawn unconditionally. I now want to request the Minister of Police to withdraw the remark. Comment withdrawn. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Honorable Members, on that note, that concludes the business of the day. Thank you. Long live the champion! The house is adjourned.